This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. And you don't have to be financially independent uh, by that 25 times rule by any means, but just getting maybe debt-free adds freedom to start designing your life going forward and starting to have a couple years of runway to leave a job where you're not, you know you're not going to lose your car or lose your house if you don't have that next paycheck coming. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do two things. First, I'm going to share with you how fatherhood sparked my desire for financial independence. And second, we're back with another Family Fi segment. This week, we're featuring Chris Mamula, a young father who decided that financial independence was his ticket to more quality time with his daughter, his wife, and more time enjoying the mountains of Utah. That type of freedom and choice that he's created for himself inspires me a lot. And I was lucky enough to interview him right here in my house in Detroit. It was very cool. I think he's going to inspire you guys as well. All right, let's jump into today's show. One fine summer day in 2011, I was zipping around on my new moped headed towards the local Rite Aid convenience store. I'm not sure if you guys have Rite Aids where you are. I think they're pretty big. But anyway, it's a convenience store. Think convenience store. (laughs) I had an incredibly important purchase I was about to make. After breezing through the sliding doors, I headed straight back to the pharmacy area. I was beaming. I was grinning ear to ear. I could not stop smiling. Given my excited state, the pharmacist was probably thinking I was some like virgin looking to score my first box of Trojans, (laughs) but nope, I was after something much, much more important. After securing the cargo, I got back on my moped and headed back home to meet with my wife, Nicole. We decided that the three-pack of pregnancy tests was the best way to go. She'd take two of them, and I'd take another one. That way, we'd be triply positive that these little white sticks weren't defective. Much to our extreme delight, my test was negative. (laughs) And both of Nicole's tests were positive. Those incredible pink plus signs had us jumping around our tiny bungalow like two kids on a sugar high. And we were high, man. We were so high because we were going to be parents for the first time. Learning this monumental news made this specific day one of the best of our lives thus far. That day was also a major, major turning point for our young family. It propelled our lives in a whole new direction. 
when the euphoria of becoming a father for the first time started to subside, a brand new thought process began to creep its way into my brain, into my life. Rapidly, I started thinking about my future, my daughter's future, and how I could best protect my family. Evidently, this brain change for new fathers, it's quite common. According to Scientific American, this article that I read from 2014, it's called How a New Father's Brain Changes. They describe how a new dad's thought process is quite different from a new mother. This is a direct quote from the article. Instead of thinking about cuddling or feeding the baby, dads-to-be focus on the future. They imagined saving money for a college fund or walking down the aisle at their daughter's wedding. When I found this article, it jumped out at me so much because it described my thought process in 2011 to a T. My little Zoe was coming into our lives in seven short months and I needed to get ready. Up until that point, I had focused a lot on my own personal joy and just enjoying time with my wife. Now it was time to think about our child and our child's future. Around this time, my interest in personal finance started to grow, and I read a lot of books to plan for our family's future. When I saw my little girl in the ultrasound, my passion for learning and my desire to win for my family accelerated immensely. We were in the midst of paying off around $50,000 of debt, and that was debt that had been accumulated from past student loans and a car loan. Nicole and I decided to focus our efforts more intently over the remainder of that year and completely rid ourselves of our consumer debt. A key element to our debt freedom plan was our monthly ritual that we dubbed the budget party. You know, you guys have heard me talk about the budget party, (laughs) but I'll remind it for the people who have not listened here to the show. What we would do is we'd meet on the first of each month and review three things. Number one, our spending plan for the month. Number two, our dreams for our family's future. And then number three, what actions we'd need to take to reach those goals. And we'd always have a nice drink or some pizza. Well, she was pregnant at this time, so we weren't drinking. But before she was pregnant, we would have a glass of wine or beer and some pizza and make a fun night out of it. These monthly meetings, these monthly budget parties allowed us to both have a voice in our family's future and craft solid plans to win with our finances. And it paid off. This diligence, this partnership, it paid off quite literally. By the end of that year, we were debt-free. 12 months of working hard, living on 50% of our income, and meeting for our budget parties. Evidently, bringing a human into the world kickstarts your financial maturity. My newfound passion towards improving our family's finances started to become a habit. As soon as we achieved one large goal that helped us secure a healthy future for our family... I was primed and ready for the next one. It became a little addicting. (laughs) Over the next few years, we began dreaming even bigger goals. 
and thinking about ways that we could further strengthen our family tree. In 2013, we purchased our dream house with 40% down, and we set a goal of paying off our mortgage in less than five years. The following year in 2014, we were able to have Nicole leave her job and become a stay-at-home mom when our son Calvin was born. And then a couple years later, I started this podcast and a blog to help hold myself accountable to these goals and log our journey to financial independence. In 2017, we completely paid off our $195,000 mortgage one year ahead of schedule. The following year, we increased our charitable giving from 1% to 3%, and we have a goal 5% this year. And now in 2019, this year, we're crafting our life and work schedules around our passions and our family. Before having our little girl, I didn't think much further than what I had planned for the following weekend. Now I am planning for the rest of my life. And I owe it to Zoe, who's now seven years old, everybody, for changing my perspective and leading us onto the path of financial independence. This is a story I am so happy to share, and I hope it helps you on your journey to financial independence as well. And I would love to hear from you too. Did you have a moment or a person that sparked your passion for financial independence? Please connect with me at Andy Hill MKM on all social platforms. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and shoot me a message. Or leave me a comment at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 157. You can do that in the comment section on the bottom of the page. I would love to hear from you. We'll be back to the show in a moment after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks 
per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Thanks for taking time to consider our sponsors, everybody. Let's jump back into the show. For our Family Fi segment this month, we're talking about retiring early to spend more time with our young kids. There comes a point in time in a parent's life when they want to own more of their time and spend that time with the ones they love the most. But financially, it's not always the easiest to accomplish. Well, today, I'm going to talk with someone who, after working for nearly 20 years, decided that he wanted a change. Chris Mamula is my guest today. Chris is the award-winning blogger behind Can I Retire Yet?, a blog focused on helping others navigate financial independence and early retirement. He's also the co-author of the new book, Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence, which is out this month. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. Absolutely. And everybody, I have to tell you, this is in person. Normally, I do this stuff on Skype, and I literally have Chris here in my podcast studio slash just outside of where my kids' toys are. So it's awesome to have you here in Detroit, man. I was a little nervous. I wasn't going to have the invite after the dart game last night, but... uh... (laughs) That's right. Yeah, we got together. We had some dinner. We played darts. I got my uh, I, got, I got my butt kicked big time. But uh, <laughs> we had some wine. And we had some fun. And uh, glad to have you here, man. So let's talk a little bit about this financial independence business here. So how did your daughter help inspire your desire for financial independence? Yeah, I'm, super great question to start with because I think for many people, the idea is you can't retire early with kids. And for me, it was the reason that I was able to retire early is because we had a child. And so my wife and I, we were good savers since really the the moment we got out of college, we were always, we started living off of her salary and saving mine. And um, not with any real goal in mind, not with any idea that normal people with normal jobs could retire early, but just because it felt good, we came from backgrounds where we didn't have a lot of money. And, and so it gave us some cushion. And so um, we were saving, but we had no idea what we were doing. We were totally financially illiterate. And um, our idea was to kind of use these savings to give us some buffer. And then we were going to be basically like ski bum, dirtbag people, and we were going to move west. And we were actually in the process of starting to plan that. We uh, lived in Western Pennsylvania, and we were going to move to Utah in 2012. And my wife had like her dream job opportunity lined up with a company called Black Diamond that makes skis and climbing gear. And um, um, the week that she got her job offer, she found out that she was pregnant. <laughs> and it was like, wow. And so like instead of like just this dirtbag ski bum lifestyle, we were like, we need to kind of get serious and figure out what we're doing. 
And so that was like my impetus to start learning and and uh, uncovering um, what I needed to do to have a real plan and, and realizing we were making a lot of mistakes along the way. Yeah, and then as you were starting to learn some of those things and you were bringing them up to your wife, what was your wife's reaction to financial independence or the difference to what you guys were doing before with your finances? Yeah, I mean, she was totally on board with, you know, we need to get serious about this and have a real plan. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we we really shifted gears from thinking this is impossible to this is something that we need to learn and start figuring out. That's cool. So how did you guys define financial independence then? A lot of people have different definitions about what that means. How did you guys personally define it as a family? So as I started wanting to learn about personal finance, I just kind of stumbled into the the FIRE community, financial independence, retire early. And so, so we went from this idea that normal people can never retire early to finding these stories, and it makes it sound so easy. So the way they def- define it is you're financially independent when you have 25 times your annual expenses. So you track what you spend. When you get to 25 times that, you can draw. You could take 4% a year, and it's called the 4% rule. And more or less, you know, that you're going to be financially independent and you can live forever off that. So it sounds really easy. So we went from one extreme to the other, and we got pretty gung-ho on this whole fire thing. And then as we started going down that road, we realized, well, you get to financial independence by being really comfortable and enjoying saving. Like you can't get there by suffering and scrimping and sacrificing. So you have to have comfort in saving. And now you're going from building up this big nest egg to actually spending it down, which was kind of terrifying for both of us, uh, especially my wife, who got a real sense of security from that. So um, going forward, um, we kind of realized we need to have our own plan and and kind of come up with something a little bit better. Hmm. So to be clear... Your goal in the beginning as you were reading these things was 25 times your annual expenses, but you guys modified things a bit. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, kind of what we realized is we wanted to escape the life we were living because we were just kind of feeling trapped. Like our time was totally dominated by our jobs. And so it was kind of all about escaping this. Uh, but then what we realized is, you know, retirement initially we built it up as like this nirvana and everything's going to be perfect. And then you start to realize, well, there's a lot of positive things that come from like, just that sense of security from having this high savings rate, um, just the positive that you're serving people and helping people with your work and like all of that stuff goes away. And so we kind of looked at, instead of looking at it as this all or nothing, you're working, you're retired, you're financially independent or you're not, how could we use the financial independence that we've built to design the life that we really want to live and, and make time uh, for the things that are important to us? I love it. That's great. So how old were you guys when you decided to make this decision or how old were you when you learned that you were becoming a father? Uh, I was, this was in 2012, so I was 35, 36. 35, 36. Okay, cool. And then what was your general income around that time just to get an understanding uh, as you started to make these five? plans. Yeah. So my wife and I, we both topped out probably in the high 80, low $90,000. So above average salaries, but never huge money. Okay, cool. And then your annual expenses at the time when you said, Hey, let's try to figure this out. Were you guys spending a hundred thousand bucks a year, six, 60,000 bucks? What was it? Uh, so by the time we found financial independence, we had already paid off our mortgage. Oh, so nice. we were mortgage free. We had no car payments. So I, I want to say we were spending about $45,000 a year. Uh, but I mean, that's a pretty nice lifestyle with no car, no house payment. Uh, so it was really pretty much all discretionary spending. Yeah. And you said you had no car. So were you were you not driving to work? Was she not driving to work? How sorry, did that sorry, work? I misspoke there. No car payment. Oh, we, no we, car yeah, payment. Had, yeah, there we had go. a car, okay. but okay. no car payment. Yes. Yeah, that, that helps out a lot. I mean, that, those are the major expenses, right? The the house, when you've got that paid off, the, the car, that's paid off. And then obviously food, things like that. So when you guys were making that decision, the mortgage is already paid off. That's awesome, by the way. Um, 
you said, okay, we, we need to have 45000 to to live off of in order to have an, an enjoyable life. Did you guys decrease your expenses as well or increase your income to try to move towards that five plan or did you just save intentionally at that point? Yeah, so we were kind of at the point where we were saving so much already. We weren't really worried about trying to increase our income. Um, actually, my wife cut back. So after she had our daughter, um, she decided... Uh, initially she thought she was going to go back to work in six weeks and that turned into six months. And then she realized like she didn't want to go back to full-time work. So she never has, she cut back to about 30 hours and she's never really worked more than that since then. Um, so we never really tried to focus on increasing the income side. Um, but we did find that once we started tracking our expenses, even though we already had this high savings rate, there's some simple stuff like our cell phones, like I'm not a tech person. And so I was still using a flip phone and I was reading these bloggers talking about these MVNO plans. So I looked into them and I ended up like upgrading my phone. So I have a much nicer phone, which much with much better functionality. And I pay like 10 bucks a month where I was paying like 40 or $50 for this crappy phone with a crappy plan. Uh, so just little stuff like that is you just pay attention to where your money's going. You can actually live better for less. And then as we started figuring out the technical side, we realized like we cut our taxes and our uh, investing uh, expenses um, by probably about $20,000 a year. And wow. uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's a big number and not an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. And you realize like we were spending money on stuff that added no value and a lot of money on stuff like that. And so, yeah, um, so the expense side, we cut a lot. Um, okay. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? So um, was that how you were investing your money that helped you to cut the taxes? Absolutely. And so we started, we were investing with uh, what we thought was a financial advisor. And we kind of later, I mean, that's a pretty general term. What we really realized we were dealing with was a commission-based salesman. And so we were paying upfront fees on our investments. And then we were paying back-end fees on our investments, which we didn't realize. And then um, because of the strategies we were using, we weren't utilizing our 401k and 403b plans through our work, which was costing us on the upfront, we were just missing on that tax deferral, which we would pay because of our low expenses at a much lower rate in the future. Also, because we were then not using that, our investments were creating uh, taxable income. So that was feeding into the more taxes that we were paying. And then because of that, um, we were creating this extra income. We actually couldn't use our Roth IRAs anymore because it was pushing, even though artificially it was increasing our uh, income. So yeah, it was just one thing piling on top of another. So so his, his advice or your financial advisor's advice was to invest in taxable brokerage accounts as opposed to using tax-deferred accounts or tax-advantaged yeah, accounts. Yeah, so my, my employer en- enrolled me to the point where I would get the employer match. And um, the advisor basically uh, said after that, like he wouldn't contribute anymore because he had all these quote unquote better options that he could do much better than what we could do. And, and again, we just didn't know what questions to ask. So we didn't ask any questions. And uh, looking back now, I can, I can see like, man, that was not very smart, but I think that's a position that a lot of people are going to relate to and they just feel investing is overwhelming. And so it doesn't have to be, but for a lot of people, that's just the perception. So if somebody's listening right now and they're maybe working with a financial advisor and they don't really know what they're being charged where could they start with the the right questions with them? I think the first thing is to just sit down with the advisor. And I, I would probably ask for this in writing, but just say, how are you being paid? And how are all of the ways you're being paid? Because like I said, we knew we were paying commissions. You see that on your statement. What we didn't realize is on the back end of that, uh, he was putting us in these funds that were 
They're called proprietary funds, meaning that they were sold through his uh, the company he worked for. And so he was getting a kickback on the backside. There's things called 12B1 fees, which I don't want to put all your listeners to sleep, but these are important things to know. And, and it's important to understand all this stuff. And then like we had a variable annuity, which again, it's a term. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't realize we owned it until we started going through our records and figuring this stuff out. And I saw on the top of one of our accounts, it looked different than the others. And it said, they all have these fancy names and it said VA. And I was like, what's VA? And I worked at the VA hospital. <laughs> I, I, that's what I thought the right. VA was. And it's a variable annuity. And it's this uh, hybrid investment insurance product that we had no business owning, but it was very profitable for him. So yeah, there's just, you really have to know how they're being paid and all the ways they're being paid and ask them, are they a fiduciary? And again, I would get answers to both of those questions in writing. I think that's that's a pretty important first place to start. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we've, we've talked about that a lot on the show, the importance of working with a fiduciary, somebody that is out there for your good. Um, that is, you know, yes, yeah, so they have a job and they need to make money, but they are more set to help you retire or help you get where you need to go than they are to fill their fill their pockets. So yeah, that's uh, that's tough. That's a tough situation to hear about. I have a lot of uh, experience with that as well. So let's talk about at that point when you decided, hey, I'm going to move away from this this financial advisor you're working with, and then you started to. I'm assuming you you took the investing on yourself. Is that what happened? Yes, I did. I became a do-it-yourselfer. But honestly, like. When I first um, started going down this road, my I was still had that in my head that investing is too hard. Nobody can do this themselves. And so my initial question was, where do I find a better advisor? Mm-hmm. And uh, as I started reading things, uh, I started to kind of come across some things that maybe I could do this and it wasn't that hard. And and one person who I read a lot that was influential is uh, it's a blog called The White Coat Investor. And a quote that he has that I just absolutely love is like, by the time you know enough to understand what advisor you should work with, a lot of people, you know enough to just do it yourself. Mm-hmm. So uh, I found a lot of truth in that. And uh, I do think there are people that can use help. But again, if you're going to seek help, then you have to kind of know the questions to find good help. So yeah. Well, let's talk about what you were investing in then after that point then. So I think that's a good question. But even before that, I think mm-hmm. the first thing was just to stop, like to stop everything. Yeah. And before, just keep throwing good money after bad um, to kind of figure out a plan so we knew what we wanted to do going forward. So the first thing we did was stop. And that doesn't mean stop for five years and, and put it on the back burner because this is important to do. But um, it was stop and read everything we could and come up with a comprehensive plan that we actually understood. Uh, so that was the first thing we did. And then what we started first to do is what do we want to do with our new money? So we started maxing out our retirement accounts. And then quickly, because we were doing that, we were actually getting a deduction and lowering our income instead of producing more of this artificial income that we didn't need. So now we started maxing out our Roth accounts. We were maxing out those things first. And then we had to kind of start just unwinding these past decisions because like, when you have investments that you've held in taxable accounts, they build up um, capital gains and you have to figure out, like you don't want to just sell them all at once. We had to come up with a strategy for that. And we talked about this variable annuity that we owned. I think it had a five or $6,000 surrender fee on it. So like, do we want to keep paying the fees or do we want to get out of it? And so we had to just kind of step-by-step go through each of those decisions individually to get back to a comprehensive strategy where we wanted. But now it's just all basic, simple um, index funds is what we invest in. Okay, index funds. And then as you guys were thinking about what physical way we could build up enough to do the early retirement of the financial independence, how were you going to access then the tax-advantaged accounts? Well, the because of the mistakes we made, we had a lot of taxable investments. Mm-hmm. So um, 
that really wasn't an issue for us. Like it may be if you were strictly investing in tax advantaged accounts. And if you're retiring very early, um, you're probably going to have to, you're, there's only so much space unless you have access like through as a business owner or through special accounts that some people have. Um, most you're going to have some taxable anyway. So that wouldn't have been an issue for us. Okay. And then you were able, so you were able to build up or you had enough or you built up enough to get to that point where you'd be able to cover that $45,000 a year in annual in, or annual expenses. Is that right? Yes. That's week. So we got to that point, but that uh, it implies some assumptions that the future is going to look a lot like the past, and we weren't really comfortable with that. It implies that you're going to have to spend down some of your principal, and so if you get some bad returns early in this in the start of uh, your retirement, that your money could have a greater chance of running out, which we weren't really comfortable with that. And so kind of what we decided to get to the point is we always save 50%, so we kind of thought we have both have a good bit of earning power and we have relatively low expenses. So what if we kind of had this more as an insurance policy basically, and then we only need to produce instead of making, so we said we topped out like in the high 80s, low 90s, we can cut our income and work just a small fraction of that to be able to make that forty to forty-five thousand. And at that point, you're not paying much tax, much income tax at that level. And so we could really just kind of have the best of both worlds, where we can free up a ton of time without having this scarcity mentality, and we could not worry about running out of money. Continue to grow our lifestyle. If new opportunities arose, we could continue to give generously. All the things that were important to us. So uh, that's kind of where we settled. That's great. And then with the recent tax changes, based on your new income level and 2018, you had to pay a lot less taxes at that point, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like most of our taxes are falling in the 10 uh, in the 10 percent marginal bracket, yeah. so we don't go above that. So it's a pretty nice place to be, and we live very comfortably with very little income. That's great. That's great. So, talk to me about the point when you decided I'm going to leave my current work situation. How did that go? Um, so, I mean, I was so excited, um, and. So kind of backing up a little bit, I think we were kind of lucky that in some respects, we talked about the bad sides of not knowing what the heck you're doing and just Mm -hmm. stumbling and fumbling through this whole process. But not knowing, we kind of lived the life we wanted to live. So I'm with you in Detroit. The last time I was here was actually for the Super Bowl when the Steelers were up here. Mm -hmm. And we did stuff like that. We've been to Australia. We've been to Africa. We've been to Europe. We've been all over the States. Uh, We've just lived an amazing life. Um, because we weren't focused on saving every penny. And I think that was the blessing side of not knowing. Because I think a lot of times when you discover fire and you just want to get there as fast as you can, and I think that's a mistake. And I think a lot of people make it. And and um, we just wrote the book with the Choose FI guys and they, they interview all these people. And that's a recurring theme that we found in a lot of people. And so I think that um, just by slowing down a little bit and enjoying was, is a, was a key reason we were able to sustain this for 15 or 16 years. Because I think when you think about it, the average career is 40 years, 45 years. And so if we did it in, I started in 2001 and quit in 17. So that's like 16 years. Mm-hmm. It sounds remarkably fast. But if you think of it in the terms of like your life, like when you start school and until you go through high school, that's basically how long it took us. And um, so, I mean, that's a long time if you're suffering and sacrificing every day and you have to find a way to enjoy the journey. Absolutely. And, and, and it sounds like you started to feel that way at work. You were feeling like, okay, this I've been here for a while and I'm ready for something new and I'd like more time with my family. So how did those conversations go with your employer and what decisions were made? Yeah. So kind of where we got to is we talked about we were planning to move west and it was kind of always in the back of our mind. It was, I guess, in the front of our heart and we just kind of wanted to try something different. And so instead of this being a financial decision, because I think we would have been honestly afraid to pull the trigger if it was like when we get 25 or 30 times our expenses or whatever, it's just always scary. 
And so we just really realized we wanted a lifestyle change. So my daughter was starting uh, kindergarten in the fall of 17, I guess it would have been. And so, or fall of 18, I guess. And so we just decided we were going to plan everything around that. Um, because once she started school, it was going to be so much harder when she we were entrenched in those routines. So I quit my job in December of 17 and took about the next six months to get our house ready to sell and just kind of figure things out. And then we made the move based on that. That's great. What were those six months like to just kind of be done and, and, and I guess take some time to get your house ready and just do things that you like? Yeah. So uh, I actually, like, I think people envision going in and giving their two weeks notice or whatever. I actually gave, I think a seven month notice. I, I turned in my, <laughs> I was with this same company and, and it wasn't like the things I liked about my job, it wasn't like anything negative about my employer. I had about as good of a situation as you can have. And I think that's why I did want to just a total change of direction and change careers. Like I kind of realized that I'm not going to get a better situation than what I have and I'm still not passionate about it. I'm still not loving going to work and there's really nothing I think I could do to make this better. I just needed a, a total change. Um, and so I, yeah, I gave them a big long notice and and I knew it was coming and they knew it was coming. But like that last day when I walked out of there for the last time, I mean, these people were basically family to me. We spent 40 hours a week together yeah. for the last 15 years. And and uh, there was really there was only one person in my office newer than me after mm. after all the time I'd been there. Um, so that kind of gives you a sense of how good of a place it was to work. And and so, I mean, not to overly romanticize it, because like with any family, like, you know, like sometimes you, sure. you have family members <laughs> and you want to kill them sometimes. That's but uh, right. But overall, I mean, there was generally a lot of love and respect for these people who I spent all this time with. And so it was hard to give that up and, and realize like, yeah, you can uh, call them on the phone or text them or whatever, but yeah. it's, it's never going to be that same that same as it was. I like how you described it though. These are, these are chapters of our lives. We went to school for a long time. You spent time in a career, you know, and your, your time concluded with that career. Now you're going to be stepping into new things in your life. And, um, talk to me about your typical day. Now, what is, what does a day look like for somebody who's, you know, financially independent and, and, and retired early? Yeah. So we talked, we started off talking about like kind of being motivated by having time with my daughter. So mm -hmm. I think before I get into what it's like now, it's kind of important to know what it looked like before. So um, like before, I would wake up in the morning and I was writing a blog and I would try to get my workout in. So I get up like at five o'clock and I try to cram all that in between five and seven. Mm -hmm. And then I get showered and basically my wife would have my daughter ready and I would like grab her hand when she was on the walker in the beginning, pick her up literally in her car seat and carry her out. And that 10 minutes between the house and the daycare was what I had with her. And then I would work to like five until I got back to get her at like 530. And then we got home and got her unpacked and everything. We basically had an hour to an hour and a half to eat dinner and shower and read her a book. And then that was it. And that was my whole interaction. And then on the weekends came, like I just so wanted to spend time with her. But I also had my own things. Like I wanted to write more. I wanted to get outside and do my outdoor activities I liked. And it was like this constant decision. And so now what it looks like to get back to your original question. Um, so I wake up. So we kind of, we have our routine. Like we go to bed together as a family, like at about nine o'clock. And I get up at about five or maybe quarter to five every day, which I think a lot of people don't think. They think, <laughs> oh, retirement, I'm going to throw out the alarm clock and stuff. And I actually don't use an alarm, but because we go to bed so early, I just get up that early. Right. And so I, I do my work then. I do my writing in the morning and get my productive stuff out of the way. And then seven o'clock, I hear her feet pattering upstairs and I go upstairs and we sit for an hour and have breakfast together. And I take her to school and we talk along the way. And then I have basically the day to do free. So some days it's it looks like going out and skiing or riding my mountain bike or doing whatever. And uh, some days it means coming home, doing some more work. Um, my wife still works part time. So some days it means me cutting the grass and cleaning the house and doing some of that stuff that's not super glamorous, but it needs to get done. And then, but regardless, by three o'clock every day, I'm kind of done with my day and I pick her up and then we have the day to 
to do whatever. And she's actually starting to get to the age already at seven where she wants to go out and play with her buds. So <laughs> someday she still doesn't want to be around anyway. But so dad's a lot of time, now. <laughs> yeah, a lot of time we have the evening to do whatever we want. And like both my wife and I, our day is pretty much done by three fifteen, yeah. and uh, and we have the day to spend with her. So it's it really. Um, I think some people will criticize and say, well, that's not really retired because your wife's working part time and you're doing this. But the things that are important to us, we have all the time in the world for. And, and it's so it really, yes, we're still working, but it could not look any different. Sure. And it's probably, I mean, your wife's probably choosing to work too. She probably enjoys what she does. And maybe there's maybe there's a future where she's working less hours, but still doing work she likes. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, she has a pretty unique situation where we live in Utah and uh, her company is in uh, Virginia. So it's totally a remote situation. She has a ton of flexibility. She works part-time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see her wanting to give that up anytime in the near future. So yeah. uh, again, it's kind of one of those things that like we're now we're kind of fitting our work in around life versus before just trying to squeeze a little bit of life in around work that was eating all of our time. So yeah. it's, it's very different. It's less of, like you said, like less of retiring early and more of just lifestyle design. You guys have designed the life that you want to live, and I'm sure you'll continue to do that over the next, whatever, 40, 50 years of your life as well. So what is your absolute favorite thing about your situation right now, financial independence? Uh, I think it's just that freedom to focus on those things that are important. I think that's that is the absolute most important thing uh, to me, and and that was my goal to achieve that, and, and we've been able to do it. So that feels pretty good. That's great. So there's somebody listening right now that's maybe a little frustrated with their job, or or they're thinking they maybe want to make some changes and spend more time with people that they love, their family, or just do things that they love. What advice would you have for them today? Yeah. So I think if you look at like how do I get to financial independence? And you hear this 25 times number. It sounds really overwhelming. So I think the important thing is just start. Start where you're at today. Um, and I think for most people, they don't know where their money's going. Hopefully, if you're listening to this show, maybe you're the exception. But I think probably the most important first step is just know where your money's going. Like sit down, start tracking it or budgeting or whatever works for you. Like I was never a budgeter, but like we talked about, like when we started tracking where our money was going, you start to see things that you didn't realize. And so just starting to get a sense of control and you can start to make some changes to improve. I think that's a great place to start. I completely agree. That's as soon as you get an eye on it and you understand what you're, what's coming in and what's going out, I think that's so eye-opening. It's such a good, such a good point, and it's a, a lot of the advice that I try to leave with people too. Yeah, and kind of like where we really like, so with the book we just wrote, and just in my thoughts in general, um, I think we talked about like that getting to retirement, and I think a lot of people think that's the goal. But what I've found is like as soon as you start to get some of this control back in your life, like you can start making changes and start building a better lifestyle, and it's starting to do that earlier in the process is something that I think we did intuitively and never really thought much about. And then we got stuck on this retirement thing and we were actually happier. And again, in some ways before we knew about it. So I think it's important to not miss that and not overlook that and and to use your money to build the life you want. And you don't have to be financially independent uh, by that 25 times rule by any means, but just getting maybe debt free adds freedom to start designing your life going forward and starting to have a couple years of runway to leave a job where you're not, you know, you're not going to lose your car or lose your house. If you don't have that next paycheck coming, it gives you a lot of peace of mind. So all on the journey, you're building power and, and freedom and, and uh, we're still there. We're still uh, looking to grow and build and, and learn and get better. That's cool. And along the way, you're doing it with your spouse, the love of your life, and you're doing it together. So, I mean, having those accomplishments together, what was that like when you guys hit some of those milestones together as a couple? Uh, I mean, I think it is the first accomplishment for us. So, for me, my family, uh, like from forever, like debt was just uh, a four-letter word in our house. Like it just wasn't something that was acceptable. And for my wife, um, she grew up like with a, a household with similar income to ours. 
but they didn't have those money values. And her, she saw her parents struggle, and she knew she didn't want to do that. So she put herself completely through school uh, with zero parental uh, assistance. And so I knew how responsible it was. She was working full-time and going to school full-time, but she had a bit of debt, probably about $20,000 that she accumulated doing that, which was pretty inevitable. Uh, but it freaked me out when we were getting married. So that very first goal that we hit together was we sat down and we talked about it. And I said, you know, I don't want to have a life that's debt. And she said, actually, I don't either. And and so we kind of came up to a, with a plan that we were just, she was out of school a year ahead of me. So we were going to live off of her salary and she was starting to pay off her debts. And then I was working while I was in grad school and anything I made, so probably fifteen or $20,000 over the course of a year, not very much money, but it was all going towards her debt to get us debt-free by the time we got married. And that was our goal. And we hit that in probably two or three months before we were married. And so, yeah, I think it gave us a great foundation to start on. And, and yeah, just working on these things together is super powerful. That's cool. What's well, a great way to start off your marriage, especially with those conversations too. Some people will continue and maybe not have those conversations. So kudos for you guys for doing that. We've talked a little bit about your book. So tell us what people can expect if they read it. It's called Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. Tell us uh, what people can expect if they read it and then where can they find it? Yeah. So what the book is, so the Choose FI podcast takes people from the, again, we talked about that FIRE community. Uh, it takes these people who are kind of thought leaders in that community and they interview them on a weekly basis. And it's it's become a very popular podcast. But what the podcast can't do is they're getting people just kind of, you know, when it fits with the schedule and when they can work people in. So all these lessons, which are really powerful, they're kind of presenting themselves in random ways. So what we did is we took the podcast and we kind of broke it down into principles that are kind of you can follow in a more linear fashion with if you need to get your expenses down, if you want to increase your income, if you need to invest better, and to kind of put it in a more organized fashion. So that's the the big thing. Thing that we did. And then the other big thing I hope people take out of it is I think a lot of people, they'll see the whole fire movement on like a mainstream, like in the New York Times and or the Wall Street Journal. And it's just, it's not what it really is. Um, they, they focus on these extreme stories or even people that have great stories, but they'll pick out one little detail that's really irrelevant. Like this person, they are planning to retire on $2 million and they're eating brown bananas. It's like, well, how many bananas are you eating? Like, So it's so irrelevant. So what we really wanted to do is take stories like the one I've just been sharing of myself and all these people who are just really ordinary people who have just decided to take different actions and they have a dramatically looking life 10, 15 years later and show that it's possible for ordinary people if you're willing to, to take some of these actions. Excellent. And the best place for people to pick up that book? Uh, you can learn more about it at choosefi.com slash book and it's for sale uh, now everywhere where books are sold. So you can find it anywhere. Awesome. Congratulations on that project, man. That's awesome. And then if people want to connect with you and learn more about your story, where's the best place for people to do that? Yeah. So my home on the internet is at caniretireyet.com and I uh, I blog there and I'm very responsive with comments and emails. If anybody wants to reach out, I'd love to connect with readers. Excellent. Chris, thank you so much for physically being here in Detroit <laughs> and having a great conversation together. I look forward to celebrating your book launch tonight um, with uh, a lot of folks here in Detroit who are excited about this conversation about financial independence. And thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. And it's super exciting to see the enthusiasm around the book. So I can't wait. This is lifestyle design at its finest. Leisure, family, and financial independence. Very cool, Chris. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Chris Mamula. Number one, decrease your largest expenses. Eliminating the car payments and the mortgage made the journey to financial independence for Chris a lot easier. Now, that's not an easy thing to do, right? I just said it in a sentence and just kind of happened, but no, 
This might take years to come to reality, but man, it is definitely worth it. Number two, invest and understand your advisor fees. When you invest your money with a financial advisor, it's always smart to understand the fee structure. Be sure to ask, how are you getting paid for our partnership? And what type of fees are involved? And it helps to work with a fiduciary. This is someone who's legally and ethically bound to ensure your financial interests are put above their own. Number three, find a savings goal that works for you and your spouse. This financial independence stuff can get pretty inspiring, right? So much so that you can forget to maybe check in with your spouse to ensure you guys are on the same page. Find a balance that works for both of you. Sacrifice is important, but don't sacrifice your relationship and your marriage in the pursuit of financial independence. Otherwise, you'll have no one to spend time with when you're financially free. Chris, thank you so much for coming to Detroit and hanging out with me in my basement here, man. (laughs) I wish you the best of luck with the next steps in your journey and the launch of this great new book, Choose FI. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation and make sure they're a fiduciary. (laughs) Before we go for the day, I would like to ask you to do one really important thing for me. In order for me to serve you better, I need some feedback, my friends. I'm doing an annual survey this month that's going to help me better understand who you are and understand your goals. This is going to help me make a better podcast, write better content, and help more people just like you. So please, please, please go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash survey. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash survey. This will not take you longer than seven to eight minutes. I have timed it. (laughs) For your participation, I'm giving away a $50 Amazon gift card, and it's going to be randomly chosen for one person. So fill out the survey by Friday, November 1st to be included in this year's opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for considering the survey. It's going to help me out a lot. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Steve Jobs. If you are working on something that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. Set your goals and let that passion pull you. Carpe diem. 